to the Christmas time. Lord, we thank you for this church and all the people that you've brought together here this morning. Lord, be with Ben this morning as he brings us your word. And uh, be with us as we listen to your word. Help us to open our hearts and learn more about you and take it out into our community and to uh, the people that we're around, Lord. Um, be with those that uh, are having a hard time this season for, for whatever reason it may be, Lord. Um, the holidays are, are not always happy ones, and we pray that you uh, wrap your comfort and your love around them in a way that only you can. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, thank you for loving us and for having a plan for us. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Lincoln, for doing all the work with the Advent. First Corinthians chapter 12 is where we will be this morning. This is a passage that has known no controversy over the entirety of church history. Nobody has argued about it. Nobody has cared about it. It's just been kind of one. No, this is a passage that has caused some fights. Uh, and so just full disclosure, this is a passage that uh, can get me in trouble, um, has caused some issues. And in all honesty, this is a passage that different churches, even within Snyder and Ira, take in different directions. And so uh, we're going to try to be as faithful as we can to the issue at hand um, when we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, which is what Paul is going to lay into for the next about two chapters. This is an issue that I knew was going to be prominent, and this is honestly the reason why we ended up walking through 1 Corinthians was to deal with these issues, because there's a lot of churches in Scurry County that have switched positions, switched stances on this very issue recently and so I wanted us to be aware I wanted us to be prepared I wanted us to know what we believe and why we believe it and know that it is biblical and so uh, this summer when we went on vacation this is going to sound like a vacation to many of you but to me it was a dream um, I would go fly fishing in the morning and then in the afternoons I would read <laughs> and so in June I started preparing for these sermons and I brought uh, some of the books that I read to help me prepare for these, which are guys from various spectrums on the idea of spiritual gifts, whether they continue, whether they've ceased, do we speak in tongues, do we not speak in tongues, do miracles happen, do they not happen, all of that is what Paul is about to delve into, and so um, I brought those just to show you, like I didn't read just one guy, I read many people and studied the scripture and tried to help us understand the whole picture of all of this. We could make this sermon a long one, but Wade's threatened me, Rance has threatened me. And so what we'll do, <laughs> sorry, uh, what we'll do uh, is just introduce it today. And then by God's grace, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians are all dealing with this issue. And we'll delve into them more and more as we go through. So I, I want to reiterate something that we know to be true, um, something that is important for us. There are our first tier issues of the faith things that if you do not believe these things, you are not a Christian, right? So the deity of Jesus, the, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the, the incarnation that God in the flesh came to earth, all of those things are first tier issues. If you don't believe those, this isn't an issue of a believer versus a believer. Those are issues of a believer versus an unbeliever, right? You can't not hold the first tier things. What Paul's talking about here is not a first tier issue, probably but a second-tier issue. It doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, it's vitally important, and it's in these second-tier issues that typically are where churches split and people fight because we'll take second-tier issues and we'll either elevate them to first-tier or we'll de-elevate them to third-tier. And a lot of times with second-tier issues, it's less about the issue itself and about how you came to that conclusion on the issue that means if it's a first-tier, second-tier, or third-tier issue, right? So, so if we're speaking in tongues, for example, which we'll cover a little bit, if you say, I speak in tongues because it's something I want to do, it's something I feel closer to God with, and you have no biblical evidence that you should be doing that, that's not a second-tier issue, that's really a first-tier issue. You're denying the authority of Scripture. But if you read the Scriptures and say, this is something I feel like I should do, and you have an argument there, that would make it a second. Does that make sense? I, mean, I told you, this is the sermon that could get me in trouble. So we'll walk through it. Let's read 1 Corinthians, chapter one, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. We're going all the way through verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware 
You know that when you were in uh, pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given the message of wisdom. Through the Spirit to another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit to another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another, performing of miracles to another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between the Spirits to another, different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is uh, still active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I'm grateful that we come to this passage, a passage you have given us, that you are revealing yourself to us through this passage. And largely what we see, God, is you are one God. One God in three persons. Sovereign over all things. God, that you give good gifts to your people. Not for our own glory, not for our own amusement, not for our own entertainment, but for the common good, for the church, so that you can build up your body and use us, and you give those gifts as you will, because you are God and we are not. And so as we approach this text of scripture, God, that you well know has been a a hotly contested text of scripture for thousands of years, give us humility. Give us grace. Give us mercy. God, help us to make sure that your gospel is the main thing, that we don't get hung up on secondary issues, that we realize that your gospel, your saving grace, your saving mercy, you, God, are the main uh, um, scriptures about you. Help us to grow in you this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So let's pause as we work through this text and kind of dip our toes into the water of what Paul is talking about here. Remember, this is a letter that Paul's written to this church at Corinth. And this church's main issue that they've been dealing with the whole time we've been reading the letter is disunity. There's factions, there's fights, there's all sorts of things that they've split on, there's all sorts of issues. They've had their their favorite teachers and their least favorite teachers. They've had all sorts of different things take place. They've had idols offered to food and not eating idols offered to food. They've had the rich who were were making fun of the poor and taking the Lord's Supper in a way that wasn't helpful and wasn't uh, unifying. All of these issues take place. And so uh, Paul's hit this section where he's talking about unity within the church service. So the last chapter we walked through talked about head coverings. It talked about the Lord's Supper. And now we enter the church service, and we're talking about these spiritual gifts that Paul is saying God has given to everyone. Do you catch how Paul says this? Now, brothers and sisters, so, so believers, Christians, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, meaning there's some discrepancies in how they're understanding the spiritual gifts right maybe your translation says misinformed or uh, misunderstood or ignorant they didn't know exactly what was going on and then Paul delves back into their past he says you you were pagans right you used to not believe you used to be uh, enslaved right you you uh, um, uh, used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols the irony of a mute idol it can't speak Right? It's carved out of wood. It's carved out of stone. It can't say anything. Yet what Paul is saying, you're led astray by those things. This is the great irony for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, they think they are free. 
They don't think there's these religious rules that they have to follow. They don't think that their life is entrapped by all of these regulations that they think religious people or Christians have to abide by. But in reality, what you and I know, if we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that it's not that we are enslaved. It's that we have been freed from the captivity of sin. Something that an unbeliever does not understand. They think we're enslaved, but in reality, we're free free to obey God, free to live our lives not for ourselves but for other people, free to glorify God with our actions because that's what God would call us to do while the unbeliever is not free to do those things. But there's this issue that's taking place. Corinthians is one of the first letters written in the New Testament. And we see this taking place here. What we see happening is right Think with me, right? Jesus dies, is resurrected, spends some time with his people. He ascends. We see the book of Acts is, is written, but they don't have a printing press. So they would distribute these by, to, uh, Paul would write a letter to the church. The church would get it. The church would copy it, and they would distribute it to other churches around the area. And that's how the New Testament kind of spread across, but that takes some time. And so what we see in this instance is Paul writing this letter saying, you need to understand not everybody has the full, complete scriptures yet. And so if somebody is saying they're speaking for God, but they're saying Jesus is cursed, they're not speaking for God. Remember, the Jewish people believed if you were hung on a tree, you were cursed. This is one of the first proclamations against Jesus Christ by the Pharisees. Because what does he die on? cross a tree it's largely thought that paul believed this that paul was one of the initial uh, pharisees who was pushing this idea that jesus can't be the savior because he died on a tree and if he died on a tree he's cursed but what's the text tell us if you're speaking by the spirit of god no one says jesus is cursed so First and foremost, before we dive into anything with the spiritual gifts or anything with the Holy Spirit, what we see the text saying is that the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. We see this in the doctrine of the Trinity. We see this with these things where the Father glorifies the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father, and the Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit, that the Trinity always glorifies the other members of the Trinity, that it's one God and three persons, and they exalt the other one. So if you speak in the Holy Spirit, you glorify Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to be Spirit-filled. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly a pagan can go, Jesus is Lord, and not believe it. What Paul is telling us is they can't internalize it. That can't be a truth that's absolutely true for the life except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. Completely and fully. Just as much God as Jesus is God. Just as much God as the Father is God. He's not one-third God, and he is a he. He is not an it. He's not some force that exists outside of God that God uses. He is the Spirit of God, sent by the Father, sent by the Son to save people. Father planned, Son accomplished, Spirit applied. That's how salvation works. So only the saved knowingly can glorify Jesus, and the saved knowingly glorify Jesus. Verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. Different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So so let's look at what Paul is telling us here, because this is fascinating. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. So one God, many gifts. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. Who is Lord? Well, in verse 3, Paul tells us Jesus is Lord. So, so there's different ministries, but the same Lord. Jesus, one God, different ministries. There are different activities, but the same God, and God works in all of them in each person. Do you see what Paul is doing? 
He's saying God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each person of the Trinity actively working in salvation and actively working in sanctification of his people, growing us in him. So there is unity within Christianity. There is one God. That's why we gather together in worship. And if we're spirit-filled people, we worship Jesus Christ because he accomplished our salvation, the salvation that the Father planned and the salvation that the Spirit accomplished in our lives and in our hearts and in our souls, if we're believers in Jesus Christ. One God, three persons, but what we see is unity does not mean we're all exactly the same. Do you see what Paul's doing? Unity doesn't mean we're all the exact same. Can you imagine how boring it would be if we're all in the body of Christ and we are all appendixes? We would be odd. No, our unity doesn't come from our sameness. It doesn't come because we're all exactly the same. It doesn't come because we're robots. It doesn't come because we all have our own same preferences on secondary and tertiary things. Our unity comes from we keep the first tier issues, the main thing, the main thing, and then in second and third tier issues, there's diversity among us. But because we hold to one God in three persons who saves us, who sustains us, who keeps us, who grows us, that's the main thing, the main thing, then there's diversity within us, and we can be one body built of different parts that do different things but have one central goal to glorify God and so Paul tells us the manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good you don't know how hard it is for me not to just dive into other texts that I want to so badly we'll get there patience 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 what Paul is saying is God in his sovereignty has given each Christian their own set of unique gifts. And those gifts are not meant to be kept to yourself, and those gifts are not meant to be used to glorify you and yourself. Those gifts are meant to be used for the common good, which we'll learn in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, we won't get to it today, is your local church. That God has given you a unique set of giftings that we need together. And your gifts are as unique as your fingerprint, that they're different. And you might overlap with some, and you might have the same with, with different people, but your gifts that God has given you are unique, and God has given you those gifts to glorify Him. And you glorify him by coming to the church and working together, gathering together, being one body with us, and helping us to glorify the Lord. So you need the church, and the church needs you. That's what Paul is telling us through these gifts. That the same spirit that saved your brothers and sisters in Christ has saved you, that you are bonded together, that you covenant together. That's why our covenant is so important. It's not the scripture, but it's a reminder that you and I, if we're members of this church, are together. That there's a unity. So one God gives different gifts for the common good. So what are some of those gifts? Well, look at verse 8. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same by the one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretations of tongues. Uh, one and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing each he wills. There has been a lot of ink and a lot of discussion that has been spilled over those verses right there. Like I showed you, I read a bunch of books uh, from all sorts of backgrounds on all of these varying viewpoints, various and old. Some people were dead, some people are not dead, new books, old books, all sorts of things. I watched hours upon hours of, of lectures and sermons and stuff teaching on these spiritual gifts because this is important. We have to know what Paul is saying. And so there's a few things that everyone agrees on when we come to these gifts. One, this is not an extensive list of all of the gifts that have been given in the New Testament. 
This list isn't meant to be an end-all, be-all. We know this because in other places, Paul has lists of gifts, and there's gifts that are on those lists that aren't on this one. There's gifts that are on this list that aren't on those ones. But every now and then, you will find somebody who says, these are the nine spiritual gifts that you hold to. Probably the most famous one you'll know of is, is a man named Jim Jones who claimed he had all nine spiritual gifts. You heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid? He led a cult. And this group uh, moved to Guyana, and in 1978, he led over 900 people to commit massive suicide by drinking a poison that was laced with Kool-Aid. And there were people who defected from that movement, and the reason why a lot of the people defected from that movement is because he claimed to have had all nine spiritual gifts, which is ironic because one of them that Paul says here is speaking in tongues, and the other one is the interpretation of tongues. So he would speak it, and then he would interpret it. They led. They left. So before we dive into these gifts, like we need to keep this in mind. This is an extensive list of gifts that Paul is giving to us. It's an example that the Corinthian church needed to hear and that you and I need to hear when we understand the context. Second, none of these gifts are to make a person who has one superior over another person. These are gifts. You don't get them because you're better than somebody else or you're worse than somebody else. If you feel superior with your gifts, then you've misunderstood why God has given them. And if you feel inferior because your gifts, you've misunderstood why God has given them. It's not to elevate yourself. Third, all of the gifts are given in differing degrees to different people, and the gifts are going to overlap a good amount. These are mainly broad categories describing a multitude of gifts given. So many people will have a mixture of different gifts in differing degrees. Four, they're given by the Holy Spirit, which means gifts, these spiritual gifts are not simply talents that you have. These are things that come post-salvation. So you're saved, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gives you these gifts to use within the church. There's no training that's required. And fifth, we will not get into this much this week, but we will in the coming weeks. But there's several categories that that, uh, theologians have come up with to help us understand the giving of gifts. Some of the gifts, really there's there's two ways to divide it. The first way is to divide them into speaking gifts and non-speaking gifts. And the second way, which is what's caused a lot of issues, even within Scurry County, is the miraculous gifts versus the non-miraculous gifts, or whether those gifts have ceased or whether those gifts continue on today. Full cards on the table. I fully believe the miraculous gifts have ceased, and that is not what God would have us do. And I'll walk you through the texts today and over the several few weeks and show you why those things are that way. This is also, since we're a Baptist church, something important to know. In the Baptist faith and message, there is no distinction on if churches hold to a continuation of gifts or if they hold to a cessation of gifts. That is not a distinguishing mark among Baptists. So if you lean one way or lean another way and you're like, well, I'll just go to a Baptist church, they may not lean the same way you lean. And this is an important issue. It's an issue between brothers and sisters in Christ largely, but it's an issue that is going to be difficult to worship with brothers and sisters if you land far on the ends of the, the, the scale with other people differing. So, the first gift that Paul mentions is the message of wisdom. When Paul says message, it's logos. If you heard the word logos before, logos, every time it's used in Scripture, has a speaking component to us. So the word is spoken. So this is a spoken gift that Paul is talking about. And wisdom is applying truths, applying knowledge, a practical application of what we know. So someone who is gifted with the the message of wisdom would be someone who's good at coming up with illustrations or good at taking the Bible and practically applying those truths from the scripture. They would have that gift. I would say a Christian counselor should largely have the gift of the message of wisdom. The message of knowledge. Again, we see the word message. This isn't in all of the gifts, just in these two. So it's something that is proclaimed. It has a speaking component to it. And this is the gift of understanding the Bible and speaking it. So teaching, preaching would fall under this category to comprehend the spiritual truths of God. 
Now, there is a nuance here. In the other lists that Paul gives, he mentions the gift of teaching. But in this list he gives in 1 Corinthians, he does not. In fact, later in 1 Corinthians, he will mention the gift of teaching. And so there's some scholars who believe the gift of teaching is the overlap of the gift of wisdom, the message of wisdom, and the gift of the message of knowledge, where you can teach those things, proclaim those truths in that way. There's some good reasons to think this. In the Old Testament, wisdom and knowledge are almost always linked together. And in fact, 1 Corinthians, which we, the letter we've been in, has a whole section, if you can remember back a few months, where Paul unpacks the wisdom that the Corinthians were buying into. Do you remember the foolishness of the cross that Paul talked about? The message of wisdom that they were buying into. What Paul tells them is the, the wisdom that they need is to be able to understand the message of the proclamation of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we see wisdom and, 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 and knowledge colliding in that case in 1 Corinthians earlier. This is not new revelation. This would be taking the Bible, exposing, expository, exegetically looking at the scripture, letting it come to life and sharing those truths. You're not reading into it. You're letting the scripture read you and then proclaim, teach those things from there. So, so whether it's preaching from a pulpit or teaching in a classroom, that's what the goal is. It's not new revelation. It's taking the revelation God has given and sharing it. The gift of faith is the next one Paul mentions. This cannot be saving faith because we know not every believer has every gift. And we know that every believer has saving faith, right? That's a first tier issue. Paul defines faith for us in Hebrew. Well, I say Paul, the author of Hebrews. We don't know who it is. I have my theories. You may have yours. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. So one of the most helpful ways for me to think about faith is to think of faith in terms of trust. Faith is a trust in God completely and a fully. So certainly every believer has to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. But that's not the spiritual gift Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about is a gift of trust that is so deep and that is so strong that it's just a marvelous, a miraculous thing that's given to some people that others don't have. If you read missionary biographies, you'll see this gift at play. Hudson Taylor. Anybody heard of Hudson Taylor? Missionary to inland China. He had an astounding uh, faith. He believed that God was going to save the Chinese people. And so what Hudson Taylor did was he moved to China, he started preaching and proclaiming the gospel, and he never asked for money or support. George Mueller. You heard of George Mueller? George Mueller started orphanages all over Europe. And George Mueller refused to ask anyone for funds and to write any letters raising money because George Mueller believed that God would provide the funds. And the faith that he showed, his biography is one you certainly should read. He would run out of money, so he would just pray. That's where we see the gift of faith showing up in people is those people who are prayer warriors, those people who can spend hours on their knees praying for God. Prayer is essentially you and I saying, God, we don't have it together. We're a needy people, and we need you. Only needy people pray. And those with the gift of faith see that need, and they have this extraordinary amount of faith, far beyond just a saving faith, but a faith that trusts God to pay for all of the bills when you're off in Europe and you have no support, or you're off in China and you have no support. People with the gift of faith pray hard the gift of healing sorry gifts of healing it's plural so what does Paul have in mind I believe this gift has ceased and I'll share with you a little bit why and in the coming weeks you'll see as we lay this out some more this does not mean just because we believe that God has ceased that this gift is not active it does not mean that God does not heal anymore what this means is that there is not somebody who has the gift of healing that can run around and heal people. We see the apostles laying on their hands and healing people. We see Jesus, the apostles of the 70, and that's not continued on. You will not find a command in the New Testament to go out and heal. What you will find is to go and share the gospel, go preach the good news, go teach to others, have faith. Those commands are continued on. 
but there is not a command to keep healing. This was a gift to affirm a person before the Bible had been written, and they had that as their standard of truth. If you read John's gospel, it's a fascinating thing that John does. He doesn't call miracles miracles, and he doesn't call healings healings. You know what he calls them? Signs. So when Jesus turns the water to wine, John calls that the first sign that Jesus did. And it's a sign because it shows the people that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he's going to do. It proves who he is before the New Testament canon was finished being written. In the Great Commission that Jesus gives, performing miracles is not listed. In fact, there's no command in the New Testament for believers to go heal outside of one nuanced command in James where James tells the elders of the church if somebody's sick to get anointing oil and to go to their house and to anoint them with the oil so that they may be better. But when we look at the context and we look at the culture, what James is telling the elders to do is he's saying, get the best medical treatment you can do. Go to the house of those who are sick. Pray for them. Pray that God would heal them and give them the best medical attention that you can give them. I believe this has ceased for many reasons. Paul healed a lot of people in the book of Acts. And at the same time, Paul told Timothy, his protege, instead of healing him, Paul said, hey, mix your water with some wine to help your stomach ailments. Paul was worried about Epaphroditus in Philippians. If you remember Philippians, we pre- I preached through Philippians. It's been a while. And Epaphroditus was this close friend of Paul, and Paul was genuinely worried about this man's health, this man's safety, this man's life. And instead of healing him, God, uh, Paul praises God that God ended up healing him in a different way. So Paul did not exercise this gift of healing that he could have. It was a gift that was used to affirm who was from God. Performing miracles is the next gift that Paul mentions. Let's define a miracle, because I think this is where we end up with a lot of, of things, right? A miracle, according to the Bible, would be a supernatural intrusion into the natural world, breaking the natural laws that is only explained by divine, uh, by divine intervention. So we can say childbirth is a miracle, and absolutely it is, but it follows the natural process, right? Outside of Jesus. Everybody with me? So a miracle is something that you uh, cannot do, that only God can do. So this is similar to healing. These were signs given from the, uh, by, uh, by God to the person doing them before the New Testament canon was complete and in the hands of believers so that they could tell who was true and who was false. By all accounts, Jesus Christ himself did not start doing miracles until the wedding when he turned water into wine, which was his first miracle that he did. There's no accounts of Jesus as a child or a teenager or an adolescent until he starts his ministry when he's roughly 30 degrees that miracles begin to take place. In fact, if you look at some of the false books, uh, uh, the false gospels, there's a lot of times what the early like uh, heretics would do is they would write a book of the Bible and they would try to claim it was scripture. So they would use the name of like uh, Barnabas or Thomas or, or one of the apostles to try to get it in there. But then you start reading through it and a lot of the things that they did were talking about Jesus' youth. There's really only, you have the birth of Jesus, and then we have the time Jesus gets left at the temple by his parents, which is, like, not good, right? If you left your kid at Walmart, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Jesus' parents left him at the temple. That's it. There's not a lot of other childhood stories about Jesus, so what a lot of the false gospels will do is they'll tell these stories about when Jesus is the child. My favorite one comes from the infancy gospel of Thomas, which is where Jesus is, is uh, sitting at the river's edge. He's making these clay uh, doves, and he'll breathe life into them, and he lets the doves go when he's a child. And somebody comes up to him and says, you're not supposed to do that. It's the Sabbath. And so Jesus kills them and then keeps making the doves. You see why it's a false gospel? But they're claiming these things are the They're not the right. So, so these miracles, this stuff has been taking place. People arguing for these things for 2,000 years now. I believe this gift has ceased. Now, this does not mean that miracles do not happen. God is God, and God can do whatever God wants to do. God has also given us his word where he has revealed himself to us, and he will not lie. So he's not going to go outside the bounds of his word either. So 
when you come across Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or Bill Johnson and Bethel and Jesus Culture and that music, and they're claiming that they can heal you, but they have to shut down their healing room when COVID hits, or they wear glasses if they're a faith healer, there's an issue. I like the glasses of a faith healer. Nobody? That's a different gospel that they're peddling. Our gospel is not about you being physically the best that you can possibly be. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Jesus Christ was crucified and killed. Our gospel is not about your health or your wealth or your prosperity. Our gospel is about glorifying God and dying to ourselves. So anyone who tells you anything other than that, anyone who tells you you don't have faith and that's why you have whatever ailment or that's whatever, why whatever bad thing has happened to you has come is a liar and a false prophet. I said I might get in trouble in the sermon and I very well could. And we'll get more and more into these as the weeks go by, but we need to be careful because those are wolves in sheep's clothing and the Bible warns us that they're not going to go away. We have to be able to rebuke them so that they might repent and so that others won't fall into their trap. And if you have concerns about any of those, I'll be happy to talk to you about them. Just come and find me. This gift was given to help the early church understand that what they were hearing was from God and not from false prophets. Speaking of prophets, prophecy is the next gift. Prophecy is distinct from teaching. So in the Old Testament, when prophecy is talked about, it's a revelation given from God. We see this with the prophets, uh, where God speaks to the prophets, and then the prophets relay that word to God's people. It's a new revelation that's been given to them, and many of the prophets in the Old Testament were written down. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, all that list that we mumble through at the end of the Old Testament. Those are the prophets. What we know from the New Testament is there is no new revelation from God. Meaning, prophecy in that sense has ceased. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share from the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. And that's John in Revelation with a vision from Jesus who's continuing on what Jesus said way back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, when he says this, You must not add anything to what I command to you or take away from it so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord of your God that I am giving you. So, new revelation from God does not exist. If anybody tells you they have a word from the Lord and they mean that God directly spoke to them and told them what to say, they might be listening to a spirit, but it is not the Holy Spirit, which is clear in scriptures. Now, there is an aspect of prophecy that does still exist. Much of the revelation that the prophets were given was these things are going to happen to you if you don't obey the word of God. So prophecy in the sense of drawing us back to the commands and the teaching of Jesus absolutely still exists. That we unpack the commands, that we unpack the scriptures, that we understand that if we obey God's word, we're blessed. And if we disobey God's word, we're going to be cursed and harmed. Those are still truths that reign today, and that's largely the implications of prophecy. But we would call that the gift of teaching or the gifts of wisdom, or the message of knowledge. Prophecy, as in a new direct revelation from God, has ceased. Distinguishing between the spirits is the next gift that Paul says. I have a buddy in Spur who said this, and I use it a lot. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, but he is not the only one. That there are other spirits out there, and the devil is a liar and a deceiver, and he's really good at it. So this gift is vital for the church. This is the gift that is able to cut through the mess of what somebody is saying and get to the reality of what they're teaching. Is it true or is it false? And this is hard sometimes because the devil is good at disguising. Mormonism does this well. If you talk to a Mormon, they will tell you they are Christians, but as soon as you dive into their beliefs, what you will see is they are not believers in the same Jesus that you and I believe in. 
This gift is given and seen by people who can see through what somebody is saying, able to break apart the, the mess of what's going on and see the truth for truth or see the lies for lies and expose those. They're able to discern between the spirits. They're able to recognize which spirits are lying and which spirits are telling, which spirit is telling the truth. And this is an important and a valuable asset for a church. The next gift is different kinds of tongues. This is in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes after Jesus has ascended, is the first time we see tongues in the New Testament. I want to just read the Pentecost account to you, because sometimes we just don't read the text. So I want to just read the text to you, and then I'll show you. Right, so just listen. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, like a, uh, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them, and they were fi all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language they were astonished and amazed saying look aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans how is it that us uh, how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language Parthenians and Medes and Elamites those who live in Mesopotamia in Judah and Cappadocia in Pontus in Asia in Phygia in Pamphylia in Egypt in parts of Libya near Cyrene visitors from Rome both Jews and converts Cretans and Arabs we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues and they were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. There is no evidence that speaking in tongues changed from Acts chapter 2. Or even in the rest of the New Testament. What's clear in Acts chapter 2 is they're not speaking gibberish. That it's not some angelic language that you don't understand. That it's simply a different language that you didn't know how to speak, but by the miraculous gift of God, now you're able to speak in that language. Nobody is running around going, chimichanga, 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 and then somebody else interprets that message. <laughs> it's a language. English, Spanish, other languages. Which leads to the next gift, the interpretation of tongues. The gift of tongues is no good unless someone can interpret it. Which means if you're speaking by the gift of tongues, you're able to speak this language, but you have no idea what you're saying. That somebody else comes in and is able to interpret this for you. So this isn't you being able to learn two different languages. That may be a gift and it may be a talent, but it's not a spiritual gift because it's not something that came at salvation for you. I believe this gift has ceased. However, I know stories of, of charismatics, friends that I've confronted on this issue that I'm like, you're contradicting yourself, who will go into their church services, they will speak in tongues, chimichanga, chimichanga, say all of those things, and then they'll say, who can interpret? And I've watched this happen. Nobody can interpret, and what they'll say is, well, I'll interpret my message for you then. That's not the way the New Testament reveals it at all. Now, with all of these gifts... There's a huge hinge on if they've ceased or if they've continued based on the role of the Bible, if revelation is, if, if the scripture is available to them or not. As the Bible was copied, as the Bible was circulated, as the Bible was passed along to different churches and grew and was put together, the gifts ceased throughout history. Virtually every Protestant reformer was a cessationist, meaning they believed that the gifts had ceased. Martin Luther himself thought that he had seen the devil and argued and fought with him, and he has some funny rebukes to the devil. If you ever want to hear how somebody should dress the devil, Martin Luther had stomach issues, and he would toot a lot, and he would say, there's the devil, I let out a toot and scared him away. He was a cessationist. In fact, it's not until recent times that these ideas have come back into mainstream Christianity. 
and the correlation with these ideas coming back into Christianity is this idea that as we devalue the Bible, we feel like we have to be more supernatural with these gifts. But brothers and sisters, if we replace what seems miraculous with Scripture, we're worshiping a God, but it's a false one. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And no one who is being a spirit-filled Christian is going to say that Jesus is cursed. And we'll talk more on this in, in the coming weeks. And I really think what we may end up doing is we'll get through this section. And there may just be a, a one-off sermon dealing with all of this stuff. Because it's, it's a huge and a complex topic. But it's one that, that's for you and I. We're dealing with this in Scurry County. Don't think this is far off. This is here. This is in Ira. Our brothers and sisters at the Church of God, who I love dearly, are going to stand differently on this than we are. We can love them, we can care for them, they're still Christians, but we're going to disagree and differ on this issue. God is God, and he will do as he pleases. And God has given us his word as our ultimate authority, and God is not a liar. In fact, Titus tells us God cannot lie. Because if God lies, then he sins, and if he sins, he's not God. And that's the standard that God has put in place before time began. So he is not going to do anything contradictory to his revealed word to us. So maybe on the frontline missions where the Bible has not gone out yet, when you get into the heart of maybe the African jungle where they have never heard the name of Jesus and they have no Bibles in their language, could God use supernatural gifts there? Possibly, sure. But what we consistently see is as the Bible spreads, the supernatural gifts cease and the word of God is elevated. As the Holy Spirit fills believers, Jesus is who is elevated. Jesus is who is worshipped amongst us. And how Paul ends this is vital and is important for us to see. One and the same spirit is active in these distributings to each person as he wills one God in three persons and the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to believers you and I no Christian no believer has no gifts and no Christian no believer has all of the gifts you and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has dwelt inside of us, has saved us from the wrath of God and imputed to us Jesus' righteousness as a part of our sanctification, God is giving us gifts that are meant to be used, that are meant to grow in you, that are meant to help you disciple other believers, share the gospel with the lost, and help make Christ's church healthy. And God does this as he wills. Did you see it doesn't say as each person wills. It's as God wills, as God sees fit, he gives the gifts because he knows us better than we know ourselves. So what this means then is there is zero room for you and I to boast or feel entitled if we have gifts that other people don't have. No member of the church should feel superior to another member. And no member of the church should feel inferior to another member. Remember, no one person is the church. You need the church, and the church needs you. And yes, you should be the church outside the walls of the church. But you alone are not the church. I am not the church. Together, when we gather together, we're the church that God has given us. We're better together than we are separate. That's why we continue to gather you need the church, and the church needs you. God has given you gifts that the church needs. He hasn't given you the gift of the message of knowledge for you to hole up in your room, study, learn all sorts of things about God, and never share them with anybody else. He hasn't given you the gift of distinguishing between the spirits to sit in your room and see what's going on or not going on and never say anything to anybody. He's given you those things to plug in. He's given you gifts that he intends for you to use in his church for his glory. So you should be the church, but you cannot be the church alone. 
It's a gathered congregation. It's a people who have covenanted together and who work hard to make sure they're living out that covenant with one another. No one has all of the gifts and no one has none. Each of the gifts that God has given, they tend to overlap. And some are given to some people in different quantities and qualities than other people. But each of us are unique in what the Lord has given us. So how do we find out what gift we have or what gifts that we have? So I get in trouble in sermon. I'll get in trouble again. I don't think a spiritual gifts test is going to help you out that much. At best, it's a black and white, finite understanding of what nuances God has given us. So you can take a test and kind of understand where maybe the Lord has placed you. But the best way, the biblical way to find out what kind of gifts God has given you are to plug in. It's trial and error. Just jump in somewhere and serve somewhere and find out if that's your gift or not. You'll know real quick. And if it doesn't work out, great. Find another spot. But come and plug in and figure out the giftings that God has given you and where God has given you. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that God gave you those gifts. It's not that God doesn't want you to use them. He does want you to use them. Plug in and figure out where. It's a part of the joy. And all of the gifts, lastly, make much of Jesus. We don't have our gifts so that we can go, look at the knowledge that I have amassed. I am great. You should worship me. God has given us the gifts so that we together can glorify God better than individually we could. That you and I, when we gather together, are gathering together to say we are unified, not because we like the same TV shows, not because we root for the same sports teams, not because we have the same morals and values and ethics and principles, not because we live in Ira and other places. We gather together because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of our lives. We believe that you and I are utterly sinful human beings, that God saved, not because of anything that we did, because of how great God is, and God saved us for his glory and for his purpose, that he imputed to us his righteousness and he has left us in Ira. He has left us here so that we together can share our gifts with one another and make much of King Jesus so that when they come and when they see us, they don't see us. What they see is the glory of Jesus Christ and we glorify God through those things. We make much of Jesus with the gifts. That's what the Holy Spirit does to a person. You make much of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you, God, that you have given us gifts. That this isn't an empty passage, God. That you are one God and that you sovereignly rule and reign over the entire world and you haven't forgotten about us. In fact, God, rather, you have specifically placed us here for your purpose and for your glory. Help us to recognize what gifts you have given us. Help us to plug in and find where those gifts manifest themselves. God, help us to make much of you, Jesus. God, in the coming weeks, as we study these passages of Scripture, give us humility as we walk through these texts. Help us to be biblical. God, if we need to repent and change what we believe, make it clear through your word. Help us to make much of you, Jesus, in Ira. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll sing. Stand and sing with me.